Hello, and welcome to Lorewatch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How you doing today, Matt? Greetings, mortals! And that's pretty much appropriate for what we're doing today. So today, we are going to be finishing out the Diablo-class lore discussion with our final three. Uh, in, well, at least as of this time, if they add more in the future, we'll cover some more. But for right now, the last three that we have are the assassin, the demon hunter, and the witch doctor. And I think starting with the assassin probably isn't a terrible thing since we ended last one with the Amazon and there is a direct tie there. So Matt, what do you have to say about the assassin? There's no direct tie there. Is there not? No. The assassins are related to the sorcerers and... And wizards. Oh, well then They're, correct me, please. Educate me. The assassins uh, started in the Mage Clan Wars. The uh, Vizgerai were doing a lot of demon summoning, and after that war, they realized demon summoning is bad. Demons are bad. Who knew? Um, so they came up with a ban on that. They were like, you can't use demonic magic anymore. You can't summon demons. But they knew mages tend to do things they're told not to do. Uh, you know, hey, there's a way to get extra power, and you're telling me not to do it. That makes it even more tantalizing. So they created the, uh, I can't pronounce this, so if I get this, I mean, it's a made-up word, so. The Vizjaktar, uh, and the Vizjaktar were basically just called mage hunters, or, or mage killers. Uh, they're basically designed to hunt down and kill mages that have broken the, uh, the, the sanctum against, sanction against, uh, demonic summoning. You, you, you cannot do that. And if you do do it, they show up and kill you. That's their job. Um, so that's that's basically their history. They, they originally come from, you know, the... Uh, I keep forgetting the name of the country. The Chaldeum's a city, um, but I can't remember the name of the country, and I, I know I should remember it. <sighs> do you remember the name of the country? No, no we, 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 we did this up. exact same thing last week. <laughs> oh, uh, let's see here. I believe... Kedjistan. Kedjistan, yeah. I just found the map. Always forget that they're from Kajistan initially, but you know nowadays they tend to recruit from all over. They're uh, that's that's their deal. They basically are trained from like very young age to be skilled at at killing mages. Um, the there was a I don't know this guy's deal. Uh, his name was Lam Essen, and he studied like ancient magic and the effects of of demon summoning. He's the first guy to have written the story of Anu and Tathamet. Uh, we don't know how he he learned this stuff. He, he studied um, the old religion or or uh, Scotsim, which was this kind of weird old. It's pre uh, Zacharum spirituality and magic practice, and he studied that. And using what he learned from that is where he got the knowledge about the burning hells and the primevals. And as a result he basically penned the book on how to deal with people who've been corrupted by demons. Um, and that book was used by the, uh, the, by the, uh, the Vizjari to create their assassins. Interestingly enough, though, that book was suppressed by the Zacharum because the Zacharum had an inquisition where they suppressed all other religions. And, the, you know, Sketsim was one of the religions that they suppressed, probably because at, by this point, the Zacharum were, were uh, invaded by Mephisto. And they wanted to, you know, get rid of anything that would allow people to fight demons more successfully. But they couldn't really go after the uh, the, the uh, assassins because the Vizjari were so powerful. And to directly 
antagonize the Vizjirai would might mean that they would figure out what was going on in the Zaka room. And that was the last thing that they wanted. So the assassins kind of got to hang out and still be doing what they were doing. So they're sort of like monks, kind of. Um, I mean, both in the way they fight and in, you know, the, the arts they practice, but they get them from a different source. I was going to say, don't they not directly practice the arts? I thought that they, uh, the whole deal with the thought of the corruption was that they used items instead. Yeah, they don't use magic at all, but they study it. Yeah. They, they, but they, they don't, they hone their natural, like, fighting abilities and they do it, like, the practices they use, the training of the book is such that they actually do get magical abilities, but they're kind of like, it's more like anti magical abilities. Like, if you think about it in terms of, it's not too dissimilar from the Templars from Dragon Age, where you have people who learn how to disrupt magic, how to kill mages, how to destroy demons. That's that's what the assassins are all about. But they do use a lot of enchanted items and ingenious devices instead of using magic directly. They don't use magic directly. Yeah, and I, I find that absolutely fascinating because like the, the idea that any magic can become a corrupting force is is intriguing, right? And it's something that I think is... Not unique, but you don't generally see a lot of in fantasy settings. Even in grimdark fantasy settings, you don't generally see like, oh, you know, just magic in general could potentially cause you to become supremely corrupted, right? I I don't think that that's quite accurate. It's not the magic that makes you corrupt. It's the fact that you're human because humans have in them in the Diablo setting. Humans are, you know, part angel, part demon. All humans have both essences within them, which is why humans can choose to do either. And magic gives you the ability to do more. So if you like using magic, it's inherently part of humanity to be corruptible. You have that within you. You, you have like the old concept of, you know, I've got an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. That's literal in the Diablo setting. So if you're an arcane, ma- an arcane magician, you are always being tempted to, to use magic that some calls on demons and summons demons. And that's the thing. It's not that the magic itself did anything. Uh, it's that you, using the magic, decided to reach out, even though you knew it was a bad idea, because it would benefit you. That's fair. It's the selfishness of it. So it's not... There's plenty of Vizjirai who never once get corrupted. You can you can be a mage all you want. It's when you choose to use this forbidden magic that reaches out to the hells. And that, to me, is fascinating, because that's why, you know, necromancers... You don't hear a lot of demonic and corrupted necromancers, although there are necromancers who are using demonic magic. But the ones who are members of the Priests of Rathma almost never, because they're they don't they don't even learn that magic. They don't learn those spells, and it's it's fascinating to me how it's not like you know the 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 kind of magic you're using isn't the problem. It's just do you know how to make a deal with a demon? Hmm. You know, yes, yeah. If you do and you do it, then that's the problem, and that's why the the visitor I have the. Uh, Viz, oh man, I cannot pronounce this word to save my life. I'm just going to say the assassins from now on because Vizjaktar, the Vizjaktar were created because they knew everybody's possibly corruptible. Everybody could be, you know, could fall into this. And we've seen what it does because the Mage Clan Wars were a directly result of people summoning demons. And that's something they were not willing to ever go through again. So that's, it's interesting, you know, the assassins, they don't really have. I don't, I don't know how to explain this. They don't have that kind of relationship with magic like other other people do. They don't cast spells, as you pointed out. Yeah, and I think that's and that definitely manifests itself in the game. So, like, if you were to play Diablo two, you 
would see that like shadow traps and things like that, the things that they're using are physical devices that they're throwing down that cause those elemental energies to actually manifest, which I think is also very, very interesting because I think the only other group that really mentions using artifacts or, or items in that way is the Haradrim, right? Like we well, I mean, really... the demon hunters do. Okay. Well, we will talk I about mean... that next, uh, probably as soon, once we're done with the uh, assassins here. <laughs> but please continue. Oh, continue what? So, I mean, but I mean, is there, I guess then my other question is, with everything that was going on during Diablo 3, why do we, I mean, do we have an idea of why we didn't see any assassins? I mean, partially because uh, Emperor Hakan was, you know, controlled by Belial, I would think. Um, I would assume that any Vizjirai who were in the area vacated it fairly quickly, rather than stay there and potentially get destroyed by all these demons that were swarming out of the woodwork. Um that would probably be part of it. Also, I don't know what happened. We're, we're probably going to find out more. This is why Diablo Immortal is so useful to us as people who study Diablo lore, because we don't know a lot about a lot of these things, and we're going to get a chance to see what happened between Diablo 2 and Diablo 3. Like, one of the things that we're going to, you know, to go again to the Demon Hunter, who we're going to talk about in a bit, a lot of the origins of the Demon Hunters are directly going to be talked about in Diablo Immortal and haven't been talked about yet. Like, as of right now, we don't know where the Demon Hunters come from, other than we know the physical location they're currently in. We don't know, like, how they got started. We don't know. So it's very possible that the Assassins trained them or somehow contributed to them because they're, I mean, There's their fighting styles are different. Yeah, their fighting styles are different, but they have the same basic approach to demons and they do both use traps and stuff. I mean, the turrets and traps that, that Demon Hunters use are, are mechanically similar to the stuff that the assassins did not the same but but similar um in terms of like what they've been up to though i don't really know i don't there's really nothing in game nothing in diablo 3 says what happened to them the visjectar just don't show up after diablo 2 so here's another question i remember there being a tie between the assassins and ormus uh ormus was a, a npc vendor uh a magic vendor or mage that happened to be a vendor uh, in Diablo 2. Did anything ever come of that? Do we know if Ormus is still around? No, not as far as I know. I don't know anything. I know there was, there was some argument that the the spiritual teachings that the assassins used to become the assassins, the uh, the book of uh, the Lan Esim, that the teachings were similar to that of the Tan clan. And Ormus was in the Tan clan. He was a member of it. Uh, but in terms of like... You know, he used to be a really great mage. He probably would have had... Like, we know that the Vizjatar were watching him, but I don't think they were related. They just well, did I didn't not trust him. Yeah, like, I, I, the, like as a possible target. Possible that he might have been corrupted, yeah. right? Yeah, and he's the one... You know, Ormus is the one who's like, you got to go through the uh, Infernal Gate to stop Diablo. That's so... Whatever happened with um, Ormus, he, you know, he, he ended up being part of that. And then you don't see him again... Ever, I mean, again, you know, he doesn't seem to show up, but he was, he was a, t- a follower of Skatsim. It should be pointed out the same, the same uh, school that the the Milan Esu book comes from. So he was one of the people who was actually oppressed by the uh, Zacharum Inquisition after Mephisto took over the church. But to, to my knowledge, there's never been anything again after Diablo two. We don't hear anything about Ormus. Again, maybe Diablo Immortal will will, will show us what happened to him. See, and um, I think I think that's one of the mo- things I'm most interested in with Diablo Immortal as well is that in between time 
uh, is one of the more fascinating things. Like we, like you pointed out, we don't know a lot of what happened in between Diablo two and Diablo three. In fact, we know almost nothing. Um, and it would be it's it's very intriguing to see what things break down because there is a sizable time gap between the two events, right? Um, I, th- I forgot how many years there is, but there's a there's a, a chunk between the two. Um, I want to say it's at least what eighteen years, something like that. How old is Leah? Sixteen. I thought it was like 25. Is it 25? Okay. But, I mean, give me a sec. I can tell you exactly because I was just looking at the timeline, but I don't have it up in front of me right this moment. All right. Well, I, I think that fascinates me, though, because that's a lot of time between events. That's a lot of time for things to happen. And we talked about this when we talked about the druids and, and a lot of the other stuff, uh, other, the other classes and their interactions with Diablo as far as, like, the world around them goes. And because Diablo 3 and the events therein were such a drastic event there was sort of i don't want to say like a calm because it wasn't it wasn't calm in between the two uh but there was a certain period of like almost preparation clean up and preparation and in trying to get ready and some of those classes assassins included i'd be fascinated to see what they did and like you mentioned and we're probably going to go into this in, in a moment there is a potential tie between assassins and demon hunters in the fact that maybe, just maybe, we find out that the assassins left the homeland to keep themselves safe, uh, wound up going out into the world, finding those that were ravaged by demons, and decided to take the fight in a completely different manner. Uh, because the assassins were essentially lone operatives that, I mean, they used tricks and guile and shadows to eviscerate uh, their, their targets, right? They were in a lot of ways similar to, I guess, the, the rogue that we're, we've been seeing be, uh, sort of brought back for Diablo 4 with the, them being an assassin, uh, and claiming victims and, and, and trophies therein, except they didn't claim trophies necessarily. They found those that were corrupted and killed them. But if they needed to take the fight in a different manner and potentially were the ones that trained the demon hunters, that could be very, very fascinating. Uh, and I think it would actually be kind of cool. Well, right now I can tell you this. The end of Diablo 2, Lord of Destruction, is in 1265. Okay. The beginning of Diablo 3 is 1285. That's when Tyriel manages to regain his physical form. So 20 years. Yeah, 20 years between those two. The events of Diablo Immortal take place in 1270. So five years after the... And that's when supposedly the Demon Hunters were formed. Um, I'm going to just go into it now because there's no point in in waiting. Sure, yeah, let's go right into it. The Demon Hunters basically form in 1270. They're in the Dreadlands. So in the in the, in the the area, the former um, home of the, the Barbarian peoples, amongst others, uh, they, the demons poured out of the, the world wound in, inside uh, Mount Ariat and began rampaging across the area. Uh, the Demon Hunters are being formed in that area. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of them. There was maybe a couple hundred of them. And they didn't have an allegiance to any nation. They were just, they wanted to hunt demons and demon spawns. And, and essentially, to get into the demon hunters, you had to lose like a love a home or a loved one or something. You had to be one of their victims, <clears throat> essentially. And so it's an organization rooted in vengeance, which is different than the, the assassins. The assassins were not about vengeance. Uh, they were basically just, this needs to be done. We will, you know, protect our, our homeland and, you know, prevent this horrible thing that happened from happening again. Uh, so they are different, and they're also different in outlook. Like at one person once pointed out, the the demon hunter plays a lot like if you took the assassin in the Amazon and you made one class out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
right down to the demon hunters using two different kinds of these, like uh, the the discipline and hatred. You know, they they have two different power sources that they switch between for abilities. Uh, but in terms of like their focus on on using on fighting demons, their use of mechanical things like explosives and turrets and so forth is similar to the the uh, uh, assassins' traps and so forth. There is there are similarities between the two. And for that matter, between the the demon hunters and the Amazons, so it's quite possible the, that that some Amazoners involved in this, but we don't know. Could have been a rogue too, for that matter. What we do know is that it it apparently started forming about five years after Diablo was destroyed, um, because the World Stone fragments were scattered all across the world, and apparently various demonic servants of, of hatred were attempting to use the World Stone fragments to basically bring Diablo back. Uh, I guess they didn't know what he was up to, so. They were just trying to, to get those fragments and bring Diablo back, and the demon hunters rose to stop it. Um, for instance, the character Vala, we know that she was just starting her training in 1270. Uh, she lost her sister and began training at that time. We know she's going to pop up in Diablo Immortal. I also think it's fascinating that uh, unlike a lot of the other classes, uh, demon hunters are unique in the fact, or, or I would say mostly unique, that I don't, they don't owe any allegiance to a particular country or king or religion. Uh, they're made up of the disparate scraps of those that have been afflicted by the demonic invasions, right? So the membership inside of the demon hunters is not part of a religious cult. Uh, or an organization brought back or brought forth by, you know, an inquisition or a king or anything like that. These are literally just people who have had what they care about stripped away. Like you mentioned Vala. Vala begins her training in 1270. And like you said, it's because she lo lost her sister uh, basically to uh, a demon, right? Like a demon took her sister from her. Um or in this particular case, the witnessing of what happens with seeing your family butchered by demons uh, caused the madness in her sister that, you know, caused her to die. We don't I don't know. We know the uh, exact specifics, but she mentions that she was rescued, rescued by survivors who had joined together to rid the world of creatures of hell. Uh, they saw in me the strength to resist the demons and they forged me into a weapon. Now I am ready. A meteor has fallen in Tristram and the dead have risen in its wake and I will send them back to their graves. Once I was hunted, now I am the hunter. And it's sort of like that mentality, right? That survivor mentality where it's like, yeah, I'm going to go and take care of this now. Um, now, the other interesting thing about that is Vala is often referred to as the Order Master. If that's the case, who found her if it was the Demonic Order? And is the theory of it being one of the Amazons or one of the uh, Assassins possibly correct? Where Well, we, we know that she was trained by Josen. Okay. Josen was a demon hunter that found her and trained her. Um, he's the one that, that we don't know who trained him. Uh, we know that Vala and her younger sister survived their village getting attacked and destroyed by demons, but Halasa drowned after she woke up from a nightmare. She ran off and fell into the river. Vala couldn't get her out in time. Uh, after that happened, Vala was found by Josen, and uh, Josen is the, is, was the demon hunter. He used to say that everything was a test. That was his big deal. Uh, he's the one who was hanging out with her in 1270. He's the one who was training her. Um, he also partnered her with another demon hunter at one point. A uh, guy named Delos, but by 1285, they they basically discovered that the things were happening. Delos was corrupted by demons, and they went after him. And it was basically like a whole thing where Josen sent is the one that sent her to Tristram, 
Mm-hmm. That was his. That's that's was his deal. We don't know who trained him. We don't know how. You know, if the the order started sometime around 1270, then he would have been relatively new at it himself. Mm-hmm. Like he's training her when he's barely trained himself. So we don't know who taught him or or where he got his instruction from. And again, this is one of the things that I think might be really cool about Diablo Immortal is we might find out like who trained Josen. Is there, does Josen have a master? Who was Josen's master? I mean, we don't even know where Josen comes from. We know that he was working with Vala, like in 1270. Like again, in, in Diablo Immortal, the two of them are available. You do quests to, within, to help them, and they're both there. So the the order existed for at least a couple of years before the events of Diablo Immortal, because otherwise Josen wouldn't have been able to be trained enough to find Vala and help her at all. And both Josen and Vala are effective demon hunters in 1270. So it's possible the order the order started sometime after the destruction of the World Stone and before the events of Diablo Immortal, but we don't know exactly when or how. And that's the, the reason that I keep thinking to myself that there might be a connection to the Assassins or the Amazons, or both. Um, we know that an Amazon and an Assassin work together trying to stop Baal. Yep. Uh, canonically, the, there's one, you know, if you look at the loading screen, the various characters, I think canonically the, the party that went after Diablo is made up of all of them. And if you, you know, even the the druid and the assassin joined in for uh, Lord of Destruction. So I think canonically they, they would have worked together. They might very well have decided to train people, but we don't know that for sure. It just fits. It also depends too largely on the state of the world after uh, the events of Diablo 2 as well. Because we've seen, we've seen other instances of for lack of a better term, the story being driven by, hey, this thing is no longer available, so now we're going to resettle, or we're going to move, or we're going to have to do something else in order to survive. Like, that's that's sort of like a big theme with a lot of these classes. It's that whole survival aspect of it. And so part of that is becoming... Um, or being ready to change where you are, uh, where you're based, or what you're doing. Sometimes you can't you can't go home. Um, looking at Diablo three, even sometimes that home's just not there anymore. Perhaps it burned to the ground. Perhaps the angels took it, or demons, or whatever. In this case, maybe it got turned into a hellmouth. Um, we've seen that be a thing where you know fleshy demonic portals decide to open up inside of it, and well, yeah, no good comes from that. But I, I think that's one of the things I like about Demon Hunters in general is that necessarily doesn't matter. There's almost an aspect of, for lack of a better term, and not to compare it to um, another IP, but I'm going to do it anyway, it has almost like a Jedi-esque aspect to it, at least with Vala and Josen, where Josen trained Vala and they're seen traveling together. And part of that story there, um, especially with, uh, I believe it, I believe it was... Josen went after a corrupted member of the, I think it was the, the, the person that they worked with before, right? The, yeah, Darla. Yeah. So he went after him who had been corrupted. Um, and then Vala had gone after, uh, no, it was Delios. Delios. Um, Vala went after the demon. Josen went after Delios. Uh, and they both took care of it, but they were seen traveling together. So there's almost an aspect, at least, and this could be the case, could not be the case. Again, we don't know the details of it, of maybe they pick somebody 
to almost be like that that student that that underling to learn and to partner with to a point where they can go out on their own and find somebody else to do that with uh or find a survivor to train up uh i'm really curious to see what exactly uh demon hunter training looks like what that actually means because again they don't have like a central base of operations they don't have a home necessarily uh, you know like the amazons have their island even the mages have their their bastions of of arcane what uh you know fortitude or whatever you want to call it druids have uh, a place that they can return to uh, Roslin, yeah. yeah so like there, there's all these places where like yes there's a base of operation there's a heritage or or a place where you know we can go back to or regroup or learn or do whatever uh, even the barbarians have that to a certain extent whether it's in various states of disarray or, or or whatever it I would is. argue that they had that. Had that, that yeah. That, that is definitely gone. In, in in fact, at least some of the demon hunters are probably barbarian in origin. They they come from the children of Bulkathos because that's where they are now. Mm-hmm. The Dreadlands is smack dab in the middle of what used to be, um, you know, barbarian territory. Uh, and the barbarians are a fractured people right now. We have no idea. I don't even know like how many of them are left by the time of Diablo 4. They were they were not doing well in Diablo 3 and that was before like a whole bunch of people got killed by Malthiel. So it's it's a toss up. We have no idea, but the demon hunters are unique in that they they don't have you don't have to be a member of a, like a, a certain group like the barbarians are all related. They're all the children of Bolkathos. Druids come from Skazglen. There's those are traditions that are passed on to specific peoples. Demon Hunter, have demons destroyed your life? Yes? Welcome aboard. Here, here's how to kill them. Uh, it's just that simple. There's no, there's no, you know, we, we mages decided to create an order to protect our, you know, ourselves from our own worst impulses. It's demons are bad. Let's kill them. You know, it is a remarkably simple and pure ideology. Uh, demon bad, us kill. That That's it. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you, you know, the only people, the reason they recruit people who've suffered at the hands of demons is because those people are the most motivated. They realize that, you know, if someone's lost everything to demons, this person's going to be willing to put themselves through the training and the ordeal of the life that will come after it. Like I said, Josen used to say, all of life is a test. Um, once you start thinking of all of life as a test, you know, you, you understand, you know, that this is something that is unrelenting. It's never going to stop. You're never going to win. Winning isn't even the point. This is pure revenge. It's not, it's not rooted in, there's no victory condition because there, there will always be more demons. So you always have to kill more demons. So that's, that's interesting to me that there's a lot of potential in terms of what they do with it. I don't, this is the, the only, one of the real problems I have with Diablo as a game setting and this goes back to, to the, the, the first one, from Diablo to Diablo 2, from Diablo 2 to Diablo 3, and now to going to Diablo 4, is there's not a lot of continuation. Mm-hmm. Like, the only class that's been in more than one game, like at launch, is the Barbarian. And the only class that's even seen two games, besides Barbarians, is the Necromancer. And even the Barbarian, then, barely, for right? Like... For, as an expansion pack to the to the game. Sure. But the Barbarian's the only one that got to be in Diablo 2, Diablo 3, it's going to be in Diablo 4, and it's going to be in Diablo Immortal. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that gets a through line. We see them over and over again. We saw the Amazon once. We saw the Assassin once. We've seen the Demon Hunter once, but they're going to be in Diablo Immortal, so we'll get to see more of them. Um, Druid gets to skip one or two. Yeah, but the, the thing is, is there's a lot of these classes, like we're talking about the Assassins, and like, what what happened to them? Why haven't we seen them again? 
That is a very good question that we can't answer because they never, they've never been addressed. I would like them to be addressed. I would like to see them again. I think there should be NPCs that are assassins if we're not going to have playable assassins. Uh, there, there should be people out there who are, you know, hunting down demons and killing them. What, you know, whether they be demon hunters, assassins, or otherwise. But yeah, it is. It is one of the things that is difficult about Diablo as a setting sometimes, is that we don't get a lot of through line. Like we we got a. The, we don't know right now if you, we don't know if the paladins are all gone. We know we didn't see any. We have a we have a couple yeah. suspects of what might hap- have happened to them yeah, after Westmarch. We, there, there might have been some some paladins left. They maybe they weren't actually in an order anymore, but they might have still been out there with their you know fighting the host of hell with the light. But we haven't seen them. We saw a bunch of crusaders in Diablo three, and we're going to see them in Diablo Immortal, which means that they you know, we'll see them before Diablo three. But we don't look like we're going to get to see them in Diablo Four. Like, did, did the how about you know? You talked about we don't know what shape the world was in really between twelve sixty five and twelve eighty five. We know that they considered it a period of quiet where things started to recover before everything went really really bad again in, in twelve eighty five. And that's there's a lot we we have yet to see. We don't know what was going on in Scovos. We don't know what the Amazons are doing. We don't know you know what's going on in in, in Tianza. You know, um, there's just you know, Zeonsai, sorry. Uh, there, we don't know what's going on in Zeonsai. We'll we'll find out about Skosglen in Diablo 4, but we haven't seen it this whole time. Uh, Kedjistan is is crumbling and falling apart. There's, like, we, we only heard about the Tarajan jungles really in Diablo 3 yep. because of the Witch Doctors. And, and that's barely, like, we don't know anything about what's going on there in terms of the demons. Did the demons go there? Did the angels show up and start killing people there? You know, we, we have no idea. We know the Crusaders were wandering around the swamp in the in the very distant east, as far east as you can go, pretty much, for a long time before they finally came out and started wandering the world again. There's a ton of stuff that, that's just never really been dealt with. Um, I mean, should we talk about witch doctors now? Yeah, I think I think that's a really good transition. The so the witch doctors, and this is going to be my to best of my knowledge because. I actually really like the Witch Doctor class because I ter- generally enjoy hybrid classes, uh, and, and Witch Doctor is definitely a hybrid class. So Witch Doctors are actually really quite rare. They're not a very common thing, even in Umbaru society. Uh, so very, very few men or women ascend to the position because they have to possess two very distinct things. One, they have to have an extreme prowess in battle, which means that they have to have survived a lot of encounters and essentially been blooded, uh, whether it's fighting against uh, human or uh, not uh, not sanctuary-specific creatures, whether it's angels or demons uh, or any of the various mutations that exist in the Swamplands. But on top of that, not only do they have to be militaristically proud, like, I guess profitable is the wrong word, successful. They have to have the ability to communicate with spirits, uh, which is a ta- it's like a latent ability. It's not something that's taught. It's not something that, you know, you can pick up. It's something that you're born with. So they have to have both of those things before they can even start down the path of being a witch doctor. Um now, the thing with the communicating of the spirits is that they believe in what's called or that it's being touched by the unformed lands, which is a central point of Umbaru sort of society and, and belief structure. The unformed lands uh, 
and the belief in it thinks that the mortal realm, so sanctuary itself, is merely a veil for the true reality that is actually the unformed lands, and that it's the witch doctors who can gain insight into that realm. They can actually see it, they can experience it, they can go into what's called a ghost trance uh, in order to actually interact with it. And that's a state of being where they train their minds to perceive that that sort of land or that that realm beneath the layer of what we call reality uh, through rituals and herbs uh, from the Tanganzi uh, jungle itself or Tanganzi in general. Uh, they can actually spend what they say is minutes in the unformed land uh, where they can actually see uh, or interact with the spirits there, talk with them. Uh, before they're ripped back to reality in what might only be seconds of our time as we're observing. Uh, what the Unformed Lands actually are, nobody really knows, um, but this is where they get their power from, their ability to look into it, their ability to connect to it, their ability to ghost trance into it, um, lets them, they call it dark magic, but it's it's really just how they manifest their ability to raise the dead, summon plagues, um, bring forth gigantic monstrosities uh, in terms of, I can't remember what the, the heck the name of the thing is, uh, but that looks like a giant construct. Um, and they there also is this belief that in that land where they draw this power from, there are gods there. What that means, they have never, ever really truly said um, what they actually are, but they're not angels and they're not demons. They are something completely other. Now, the interesting thing is that the only other class that can tap into this spirit realm, that can tap into sort of this this layer beneath reality, is the necromancers, where they can actually channel those spirits into the minds of their nearby enemies uh, to basically all, any any psychic attack or any sort of like spiritual attack that the necromancer does is drawing on things from that realm. Uh, so it's interesting that the witch doctors can do that as well. Uh, the Umburu are essentially a decentralized people. They're hunter-gatherers. Um, they leave sacrifices for their gods inside of the uh, the ghost realm. Ooh, excuse me. Um, and they tend to occupy spaces that seem to almost need protection. Like when we go through the swamps... One of the things we're doing is we're breaking into tombs and ancient areas that are buried deep beneath that soil, that that water. Um, and it almost seems like the the Umbaru are almost positioned to try to keep that safe. Now, nothing's ever been said or or, or really uh, linked between the two, but it seems a little too coincidental. Uh, let's see what else about the witch doctor I think is interesting. Oh, the other thing is, like necromancers as well, they can feel when something dies and passes from one realm to the other, uh, and they can actually sense when, like, there are mass murders. So, at the end of Diablo 3, when the world has essentially been uh, devastated and, mo like, a good chunk of humanity has been wiped out, the Witch Doctor would have felt every single bit of that. Unlike the other classes, or maybe to a varying degree, um, I don't know if paladins or crusaders would have felt that in their their very bones. Uh, the magic wielders might have, druids might have, but the witch doctors definitely did. And what that caused them to uh, to do, or or how that would have affected them, or the Umboro society, who you know reveres the witch doctor as 
I mean, almost akin to what they call their high priests or their their rulers. Uh, that would be a fascinating thing to see. Like, are they still around? Can they still exist? Uh, are they been laid waste with the anything that's everything that's happened there? Now, the other thing I think is really cool about the witch doctors is that not only can they use the herbs and things that they find to uh, put themselves in that ghost trance state, they also know how to weaponize it. And that is manifested through summoning the poison clouds, throwing the canoptic jars, um, using the the poison darts to essentially uh, attack their enemies' spirits using their magics from the unformed lands, their bodies through the uh, use of the poisons, as well as their minds. They attack whatever they're going after uh, with everything. And we know that they're able to form poisons that can affect demons, which is also very interesting because when they're fighting them, you would think that the demons if they're not part of uh, Sanctuary, wouldn't be affected by, by natural herbs or whatever the case uh, of their concoctions are. But they very clearly are. And angels as well. So the Witch Doctor has the ability to, whether it's through channeling the the unformed land into whatever tincture or, or mixture they're making, but they can poison them. They can actually cause them physical harm through this use of what are essentially naturally occurring things in Sanctuary, which I think is absolutely fascinating. It also is a, uh, it's another pseudo-religious class, I guess, that would kind of fall in line with paladins and crusaders and uh, even mages to a certain degree, where they are informed by a very specific set of tenets. It's just way different than everything else. It's very animistic, very spiritual, very... Uh, multiple gods, not just one greater being, not just believing in the light. And I think that is absolutely fascinating. And I think that due to the nature of their sort of hunter-gatherer-esque society, where maybe they're not staying in one place for too long, they don't really necessarily have established cities, that they might have also been one of the few groups to maybe survive a good portion of the aftermath of Diablo 3 going into Diablo 4. Now, I'm very curious to see if they will pop up in some capacity uh, in Diablo 4 because I want to see... I'm curious how they would interact with the Necromancers if the Necromancers are working with Lilith and how they would work with Lilith. Like, how that interaction would go down. Would they view Lilith as another god even though she's a demon? Would she be just somebody who was uh, brought back from unexistence but maybe that unexistence was the unformed land. It seems to sort of be in that same wheelhouse. Uh, is that where things that are banished from sanctuary go? Is it sort of like this, I hate to say it like it, is it the shadow realm? Uh, is it this layer that just encompasses everything, including death? Because that's the other thing I don't think has ever really been established in Diablo lore, is where does a soul go when it dies? Well, I mean, the necromancers have the theory that they goes to the plane of the dead. And there are some people who think the plane of the dead is the unformed lands, that they're the same place. Okay. I should point that out. Um, we know that uh, one of the things that, that drove Malthiel insane, in fact, was that when he went to where the Worldstone had been before Inarius stole it, he found mortal spirits going there, collecting there. And he was like, why is this happening? Why are they here? So it's possible that the unformed lands and the, the realm of Pandemonium have some kind of connection. Because the Pandemonium Fortress is where the, the Worldstone had been before 
you know, before it was taken to sanctuary. It's the place that plane was essentially created by the destruction of Anu and Tathamet that created the World Stone in the first place. And so it's possible the unformed lands are um, the pan- the realm of Pandemonium because Pandemonium is everything that's not hell, heaven or hell or the created realms like Sanctuary. Pandemonium doesn't really have a form. It's just the place where the, the World Stone was. It's a shifting constantly, you know, they were fighting a continuous battle across it, but it's a, it's, it's a plane. Well, don't they call it like the scar of the universe or something like that? Yeah, that's one, one of the terms for it. So it's, who knows what, what, you know, they, the, the place around the Pandemonium Fortress is the eternal battleground between heaven and hell, but the plane is much larger than that. And we don't, and it shifts constantly. We don't know what it is. You've never seen most of it. So that's one possibility. I, I don't know how that worked out. But it, it is worth considering that since Sanctuary was a created place in the first place, and it was created by the World Stone, and the World Stone was essentially the last remnant of the primordial Anu, and now the World Stone has been destroyed, the uh, power of the World Stone, where did it go? Like, the, if you call it the unformed lands, Sanctuary was, was very deliberately formed. It was made mm-hmm. with this item. So if the unformed lands exist and you can reach them, what are they? Are they the place where everything that wasn't made resides? I mean, there's a lot to it, but that's something worth considering. I it, also, might be, it might be that this, there's a relationship between Pandemonium and Sanctuary as the two places. Like the, the, the Sanctuary is also the only place that was ever successfully permanently created by the World Stone. Yes. Other people used the World Stone and could only make like bubbles that kind of worlds that existed for a time and then faded out of existence. But Sanctuary is seemingly permanent, and it has Tragul, the the Dragon of Balance, that that it seems to exist in and around Sanctuary, but not you know not of Sanctuary. And that's something to consider when you talk about the quote unquote gods that the Witch Doctors can contact in the Unformed Lands. The interesting thing is, I wonder how much how important it's potentially going to be in the future of Diablo. And the reason I bring that up is because with humanity being devastated the way it has been and with the world stone being gone with everything that happened at pandemonium fortress and the idea that maybe the unformed lands, maybe the land of the dead uh, exists as a layer between all of them, whether it's, you know, sanctuary. And we know from, I believe it was Diablo two, when you're going into hell, like you go there through pandemonium, like that, that the it's adjacent to it. We know that, um, so I'm wondering if it becomes more important. Like we know that things can be brought back from there. We know that power can be tapped into there. And if all of those human spirits exist there and they were at some point Nephilim or becoming Nephilim, that's a whole lot of untapped power potentially. And that could be why necromancers are involved in all of this. Maybe not necessarily just because of the power aspect, but because that has shifted the balance way too far in one direction and maybe witch doctors become important in that because if they can physically go there if they can travel there and have the rights to do that maybe they have the rights to help other people there and if adventurers need to go there to retrieve souls or power or whatever in order to bring the eternal conflict to an end i could see that being something that becomes much much more important I would also, it seems to fit too, because originally 
and and this is sort of like a game mechanics thing. Originally, back in Diablo 1, I remember there was an interview where they stated that Pandemonium was supposed to be a place that they wanted to bring players to. They reiterated this in Diablo 2, where we visit the Pandemonium Fortress, but we never got a full expansion of it. The closest we got was Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls, where we go into the the fortress uh, and tear that place apart to get to Malfiel. But like you said, that place is huge and it was something that they always planned on doing. And I'm wondering if that opportunity is starting to come. And I'm wondering if the classes that are going to be involved as NPCs potentially are going to be the key to getting there. And maybe it's a larger important thing to what's going on. Again, I still have it in my mind that where do things that don't exist go? How is it possible to completely unmake something? But if you unmake something to its complete base components, do they still exist somewhere? Yeah, but think about it from the other side, though. Everything in Sanctuary didn't exist. Sanctuary didn't exist. Mm-hmm. It was not a real place. And then they made it real using the World Stone. They pulled it out of nothing and made it something. Again, using the World Stones. They formed it using the world stone the world stone formed sanctuary so the unformed lands would be what are they the places that they didn't make using the world stone are they the places from which the world stone drew or are they the world stone now that's an interesting idea and does the world stone have to physically exist to exist the world stone dreams nothing into something and if the, the world stone is a manifestation of anu's power the power to create the power to make things if you have to make if you can make things first you have to conceive of them anu created himself into two beings he because he conceived of himself as separate he created tathamet by conceiving of all the evil and vileness within itself because it was everything so of course it had those things too being pulled out and created as a, a new thing which also created the other thing the diamond warrior which was everything left when you pull all that stuff out and put it over there Everything left behind is there. If you create a world, everything you don't create, where is it? And and interestingly enough, too, right? Like, we know that there are chunks of Worldstone that exist out in the world before the Worldstone no longer was there. Oh, yeah. They, someone came in and took pieces of it. They created the, the soul shit, so the soul stones that way. And they were I, made from pieces of the Worldstone. And I believe there is a, also a case made that somebody think that the blood shards are also pieces of the world stone well we know that in diablo immortal pieces of the world stone are the are are being hunted down by the demons they're looking for them so ultimately i think it's very very interesting to think about the concept of the world stone not as a play not as a thing an object but as a place you know sanctuary was the only thing it ever made that continued on why was it because they brought the world stone to sanctuary Mm -hmm. and that meant that it, it, the world stone was now contained within a world. Was that what it needed? You needed the, in order for the unformed lands to exist, you need a formed land. You need a place to have no place. In order for there to be nothing, you have to have something. Otherwise, everything is nothing, and then nothing is everything. These words only, they're only concrete and separate and disparate when they have opposites. And so the world stone might actually be the place they're going to. It might be the place they're visiting. It might be the place from which all these spirits and gods come from. Because we know the dead were trying to get to the world stone. 
when they died, they went to Pandemonium to try and find the World Stone. Only the World Stone wasn't there anymore. And that's the power Malthiel drew upon was the power of death. And the necromancers seem to be able to draw upon the plane of the dead, which is, seems to be the same plane as the, as the unformed lands. Which seems and, to be the same power that the witch doctors call upon yeah, as well. And if you die, you go to the world stone because you came from the world stone because the world stone made you, it made everything. It made the angels and the demons. There was pieces of Anu and, and Tathamet that made them. They were created by the same thing that destroyed the, you know, the universe and created the world stone. So I think there's a possibility that the world stone can't be destroyed. It's physical manifestation, maybe, but not the world stone itself. And there's nothing that says that another physical manifestation can't take form either, right? Like Quite that, possibly. Because at that point, it's essentially, it's the heart of creation. It's, it's essentially untold potential that if everything can be created using its power, why can't it create itself? Like you pointed out, they did that originally. The Eye of Anu is the Eye of Anu because, well, that's what happened. That was the resultant uh, outcome of, you know, a greater being splitting itself in twain because it could. It existed. It willed itself into existence. It willed itself split. Uh, the worlds themselves are made from the remnants of those those beings, of that being. It is essentially pure potential. And if, those, if that being can do it and anything exists of it and Sanctuary is made of it, which we can argue that it is or isn't, whatever, uh, that is entirely possible that the soul, that the world zone could just exist again. But I like your idea. I like the idea that because of that, because of that pure potential, because of that, that pure creation, that it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical item. It can be a place. It can be a concept, a higher concept that just exists and if that place is the land of the dead, if it is the unformed world, then going there or tapping into it seems like the next logical place because that's where it came from to begin with or potentially where it went after everything was physically destroyed. It's a fascinating idea to think about. And one of the uh, existential-isk type things of Diablo that I think is always fascinating because it can mean something so different to any of those those characters. And I also think that it's going to become a little more important, and this is a little bit outside of the lore aspect, simply because the game itself seems like it's trying to go back more towards its RPG roots. Well, how do you do that? You bring more meaning, more story, more investment of the characters and what's going on, aside from just clicking things to get loot. And if you add sort of that element, like you are, like they're doing with Diablo Immortal uh, and potentially with Diablo 4, you get the opportunity to explore some of these concepts a little deeper. And I think that's personally something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, because like you said, Diablo has this nasty tendency of we don't always get a whole lot of backstory. We've had books, sure. We've had the Sin War. We've had the Book of Cain. We've had the Book of... Uh, Material. We've we've had some items outside of the game that sort of try to solidify some of that, but I think we can start getting to a point where the story, the lore of it, could start manifesting more solidly inside of the game. And I think they already started to do that with Diablo three to a certain degree. So I guess I want to end this with a question for you. With everything that we've talked about, with all of the classes, with all of the lore for the classes, thinking about going into Diablo four now and Diablo Immortal. What would you like to see explored the most in terms of those classes and their interaction world? And yes, it can be barbarians because I know that's, I mean, it's just, it's 
like peanut butter and jelly just goes together, Matt and beans. But I'm curious. Uh, honestly, for me, the, the one I'm most interested in finding out about is what happened to Scovos? What's going on with the Scovos Isles? Because last we heard, they sent Amazons out into the world, and that's it. We don't know what happened since. What have they been doing? You know, did they get the eye back, the sightless eye? The sightless eye can be used to scry on the entire history of the world. Did they know what was coming? Did they, like, have a defense for it? Did they, like, you know, were they prepared for Malthael's attack? What is going on with Scovos and the Amazons? That's The barbarians, I feel like we've seen enough in terms of I don't worry about their story. Their story is their homeland was destroyed. They're a wandering people. They have no fixed abode. They're all just kind of trying to rebuild what they lost. I get that. I've seen it. I know what it is. Uh, but the Amazons, no idea what they've been up to since Diablo 2. So, yeah, I would like there to be something about Scovos. And for me, I think I'm getting what I want the most, which has always been the Druids. And mostly because the concept of Druidity inside of a grimdark setting has always fascinated me. Because generally speaking, Druid lore is not necessarily always tied up with in classic storytelling with uh, super, super dark like tidings, right? So mm, here's, what, here's what I'm going to disagree with you, buddy. Okay. Uh, because Arthur Macon exists, well, and the, the Wicker Man exists, and in fact, for most of its history, going back to Caesar talking about the Druids, the Druids were always portrayed as sinister. They held knowledge that they didn't share with people. They they didn't like they they had strange rites that they didn't discuss with outsiders, and they called upon gods that they didn't really bother to explain to the people who are writing about them. So there is actually a long tradition of druids being sinister and even a little malevolent. The whole idea of nature, red and tooth and claw of the, the horned god, you know, or the dull carnazane, the two horned god, the one that sacrificed, you know, yeah, burned sir, people in giant sir, wicker statues. Servants of the darker earth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All that stuff. That stuff is a big part of druidism. That's why I liked that in World of Warcraft, they, they brought it in with the Kul'tarens. Like they had death druids, druids who were like, you know, part of life is death. Part of nature is decay. It's, it's part of it. You can't have it like without, without There's decay, no life plants without don't death, grow. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I think it's pretty fitting actually. And I think it's very thematically appropriate to druids to have that element. Um, the part where they turn into werewolves, um, that's a little harder, but I'm, I'm, I'm down for the werewolf turning. That's, that's and cool. werebears. Don't forget werebears. Uh, you know, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that, that druids work pretty well as a sinister, not necessarily evil, but scary. Just because something isn't evil doesn't mean, you know, what what's the, this is it's another Dragon Age reference, but I think it works here. Don't, you know, oh, never mind about that tiger. It's not its fault. It's going to eat you. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter that the animal isn't evil. It's still going to kill you, you know, and that's frightening that the, the power of the druid to take animal forms, to call upon storms and lightning and earthquakes. It's still terrifying whether or not, you know, they're using it for evil. It doesn't matter to the people they kill with it. Right. And and that's, I think, something that's pretty cool about the Diablo version. But I am looking forward to that getting explored a little bit more, seeing what they've been up to, uh, and actually getting to see their interactions with the world in general. Uh it's always been my favorite class is what it really boils down to. So getting some more of them is always going to make me very, very happy. But I think that's going to do it for us today, unless there's anything else you want to bring up. No, I'm good. 
All right. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast, site, and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. And if you have questions for the podcast, please be sure to send them in. You can send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. You can also send those in on our Discord. We do have a Discord channel set aside for our Patreon supporters as a way of saying thank you. Uh, you can get your questions highlighted uh, in a place that we can see them a little more directly. If you're not a Patreon supporter, an email is not your thing. We also understand uh, there is a Q&A podcast question section where you can drop those in there. And we're going to look at both of those. Uh, just make sure you specify which show it's for so Matt and I don't have to mud wrestle for them. But with that, we'll see you next week. Dude, it's Jello. It's not mud.